much musicians. I know we can all worship God on our own, but there's just something about being around people that have been gifted in that way that bring me to a whole other level of experiencing God through music. My name's Evan. I'm the pastor down here. Man, this is a hard time for me. This is the first Sunday in like six months that I can't wear sandals to church. <laughs> I know I do it to myself. Yeah, Josh, you're the same. I see you wearing shoes. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I want to point out two things. You hear me say this over and over, and you will hear me say this over and over. We are the church. The church is not a building, it's not an institution, it's a community that comes together to follow Jesus, to support and encourage one another, and then to spread that light into a dark world. And in order for this to happen really well, it requires individuals to get invested. And we're seeing this happen more and more down here. Let me give you two examples. Last week, we kind of gave you an opportunity to buy some new backpacks for children at Knollwood that don't even have those. Within two days, we had all of those backpacks delivered to those children because of you guys. Think about that. Like a very real need that was met because you felt like God wanted you to do that. Go out and spend six bucks, 12 bucks. So simple. But for those kids who potentially are living in hotel rooms who don't have their needs met, you guys stepped in and showed them love in that way. Another way we just found out um, some people are really into, like, monitoring the finances of anything, right? They're more of the accountant mindset. They just tell me what to say. But this June, we decided to become a second campus instead of just, like, this sister-daughter place where we are fully supported by the main campus. We decided to become a second campus. And with that, we are looking to be autonomous in our supporting of ourselves. This quarter, the last three months, we are 31% higher than last year at this time, right? I know it's just money, but through that, through you guys' desire to be invested in this community, God can then do far more, right? We, it's just money. They're just things, but that's how we operate in our society. And so with more resources, then we will have more opportunities to do things besides just meet on Sunday mornings. So I just kind of want to share... But things are happening down here due to us understanding that we are the church. All right, so we're studying through the book of 1 John. Now, this is a beautifully complex and condensed style of writing. I'm going to be giving you guys a lot of stuff. But we're just going to be walking through a short section of the, of the book, like three verses mainly, four verses mainly. And I want, my hope is to give you some ability to better understand what these verses are about. So that way you can go back on your own. You can join a small group or the small group that you're already a part of, and you can study through it. So in these five pages, that's all the book is, John is teaching and reminding people of the things that Jesus taught his disciples, which he was one of. In such a short and challenging text, you and me, the reader, Right? We are forced to wrestle with very clearly made statements that may seem to be contradictory to one another, but are literally side by side. Last week, Derek unpacked what we in the evangelical circle call the gospel, the truth that we are all sinful and in need of a savior. Because of who Jesus is and what he did, we can be fully forgiven of every bad thing that we have ever done. 
And this is not just for a certain number of select individuals. It is available to every single person in human history. All that is required is that a person confesses their sins or owns up to their own brokenness. Let me show you where he got this from. 1 John 1, 9 and on. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that way you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not just for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What John lays out is that we can all be fully redeemed by God's grace alone. We don't have to do anything to earn our salvation other than call upon the name of the Lord. This is supported by so many other verses and stories of what God does throughout the Bible, and it fully aligns with his character. But then John, the writer, immediately goes into what some people would call works-based salvation. Let's look at the next four verses. Now by this we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him but does not obey his commandments is a liar, and in such a person the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person the love of God has reached perfection. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Do you see what I'm seeing? How could somebody teach, go from teaching grace-based to works-based salvation so quickly? As we continue to study through 1 John, we'll see him do this over and over, even in more drastic and black and white fashion. We are saved by Jesus and Jesus alone, but in order to know God and to be known, his known as his child, we must live the way he tells us to live. What I love about this is that it requires us, the reader, to take time to think. It forces us to stop so that we can consider how two things that seem to be contradictory could actually be deeply connected. From what I have discovered, the ideas of being saved fully by grace and grace alone and the call to live out of total obedience are like wings and an engine or engines on a small airplane. Without both, a plane is unable to do what it has been made to do. God's grace or our unearned favor with him are the wings. This is what allows a plane to fly, right? God's redemptive power is what allows us to be saved. Even if a plane doesn't have engines but has wings, it is able to fly. It is very limited in what it can do, but it can still fly. The same is true for followers of Jesus. Even if we don't follow God's plan for our lives, but have genuinely cried out to him to be saved, then we will spend eternity with him. Our lives in the here and now may be terrible, but our souls are still saved. By adding engines to a plane, though, it changes everything. Instead of being able to simply coast from start to finish, it can see and do so much more. It has the ability to more fully operate as a plane, even doing things like flips and barrel rolls. The same is true for us. When we add obedience to our, to our already saved souls, we are given insight and power to live life really well. Instead of Instead of coasting to heaven's gates, we can experience more life, more joy, more contentment, 
and we can also bring more of his goodness to other people's lives. Because God takes on both the full weight of our sin in order to bring us total redemption and calls us to live according to his standards, we have the ability to live our life to the full. If and when we only hold to one of these paramount truths, we will be limited in every way of life, unable to fully accomplish what we were made to do. Derek clearly laid out that God is waiting for us with arms wide open, no matter how far we wander from his presence. To be pulled back into the light, all a person has to do is turn to God, confess their sins, and then God will step into their brokenness and begin to heal. It is as simple as that. Saved by grace and grace alone. This morning, we're going to look at the other side of the coin. Once we have been saved solely by God's power, we are called to live perfect lives. That comes directly out of the mouth of Jesus. Matthew 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In order to explore this idea, we're going to look at 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6. Now by this, we may be sure that we know him, if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments, is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, also ought to walk just as he walked. Now, in these four verses, I feel like John is showing us two truths. Two reasons why we are called to obey God's commandments, even though that is not what saves us. The first, when we do, it'll, get, it'll help us better know God. The second one, it will also allow us to better love others. So we'll start with the first one. Obeying God's commands will help us better know him. In verses 3 and 4 that we just looked at, John uses the term know, the idea of knowing God. He says that a person cannot know God without obeying his commandments. Now, for some of us, this may cause red flags to pop up. But if we take the time to figure out what the author is saying, we can move past our assumptions to truth. The Greek word used here for know is also used in other places to mean being familiar with or learning to know through personal experience. It is developing a relationship with someone, which allows you to figure out more of who they really are. This isn't the type of know that you would use to describe what you know about LeBron James or Trump or Macaulay Culkin. This is the type of know that you would use to describe what you know about your spouse, your girlfriend, your kids, your best friend. The type of relationships where you spend days, weeks, months, years together, living, even building a life. And who wouldn't want to have this type of relationship with the one who made everything in our beautiful lives? According to John, in order to have this style of relationship with our creator, we must obey his commandments. Let me give you another definition so that way we can better understand what he is trying to communicate. In these verses, obey, get ready for this, is a continuous progressive verb. Enough said, right? No other English nerds in this class? Come on. All right, let me explain it to you. This type of verb shows an ongoing action that is always happening. So when John says that we must obey God's commandments to know him, he is referring more to a lifestyle than a specific one-time action. 
He is not saying that if we mess up one time, we will not gain an intimate relationship with God. Rather, it is more about the choice of a lifestyle, what we do day in, day out, that will create this relationship. I think now is the time to ask the most important question anyone should ask when studying the Bible. Why? Why would an intimate relationship require continual obedience? There's a lot of answers to this, but the one that I thought of is because God's commandments are a direct reflection of his character. When God gave Adam and Eve a rule, when he gave the law to the Israelites, when he made covenants with David and Solomon, God was not simply shooting from the hip, throwing out rules that happened to sound good to him in those moments. The same is true when he personally directs you. When the Spirit convicts or leads you to say something or do something, this is not a random suggestion. God is perfect and does not change. Therefore, the commandments that he gives are directly connected to his perfection, specifically his character and his wisdom of how everyone he made should live. I hope you're kind of catching this. You know, the same is true for us. When we give rules as a parent or a teacher or a suggestion as a friend, you are showing your character and promoting what you see as good and right. That means that when a person takes the time to learn of God's commandments and then, even more so, takes the energy, initiative, and self-control to live in accordance with them, this allows a person to understand who God is in far deeper ways than simply reading his commandments. Let me give you an example from my life. About a month ago, I was driving up to our property in Keystone, and I saw a man walking up the side of Highway 16. Instantly, the command of loving one another is the way that I would want to be loved popped into my mind. Personally, I do not want to walk alongside of a, a busy highway for miles and miles. But I kept driving. The man was large, six feet plus, Right, look shady. I even think I saw a neck tattoo. Right, red flags. <laughs> but the thought of grabbing him would not leave me. So I asked God why. And all I felt was a definitive, just do it. So I flipped around half mile later and drove back and picked him up. I quickly found out that he lived in Rapid and was walking home from a friend's house. He happened to be walking in the wrong direction. So I assumed he just experienced like a real wild night of party. I asked him if he wanted me to drive him to Rapid after I worked for a few hours. He agreed. On the way to Backroads, our property, I found out he was hungry, probably because he was hungover, so we swung by a convenience store. He only had food stamps. They wouldn't accept him, so I bought him a small little lunch. When we got to our place, I gave him a comfortable spot to relax while I worked. In my mind, I thought my job was done. I treated someone the way that I, wanted, that I would want to be treated. By following the second greatest commandment, I got a chance to see that God wants to help those in need, even those who are making foolish choices. But apparently God wasn't finished helping this man or teaching me more of his character. Because by following God's instructions or directions for your life, you not only get to see who God is based on his rules, but also based on what he does. On our way back to Rapid, I find out that the man was trying to get to Hill City to see a man who is a director of a program called Celebrate Recovery, which exists to help people fight against addictions through biblical principles. 
he, has been in, he had been addicted to meth for years and years and years. He had just gotten out of the hospital due to a massive sore on his foot. While in the hospital, somebody stole his phone, so he lost the number for the director. But he was so set in fighting against his addictions by going that route that he set out on foot to hunt him down. He walked up Hill City Road, <clears throat> excuse me, he walked up Sheridan Lake Road <clears throat> on Friday evening, and then was going to, took a logging road that kind of goes off to the south to get to Highway 16, but got lost in the woods for three days. No food, no shelter, no blanket, nothing. He popped out on Highway 16 on Monday when I saw him. During our ride, I was able to get the director's number, who happens to be a friend of my dad. It was like a matter of 30 seconds, and I had him on the phone with the individual that he was going to walk 30 miles to see. I then bought him another meal and dropped him off at a shuttle that would bring him up to the veteran's hospital so he could get his foot treated again, because it was in real bad shape at this point. Now, I have no idea what happened to that man, but once again, he was set up to continue down the road of hope and restoration. By being willing to follow the Spirit's nudging, I not only learn that God wants to help those in need, but that he uses his power to put the right person in the right place at the right time to accomplish his will. And all I had to do was choose to obey. My role was so slight. According to John, if you want to know God, to intimately understand him through personal experience, we must be willing to obey his commandments. Without doing this, you will not be less loved by him. Your souls will not be less redeemed, but you will most likely remain in the dark. Your mind and your life will not be illuminated by a greater understanding of who created you. The more a person understands this, learns of who God is, the greater their joy will be. The stronger their hope will be when things get hard, the more purpose they will have for the days that they are given. The more that you know the almighty maker of everything, the greater of an impact he can have on your life. <clears throat> the second thing I think John wants us to see is by, knowing, by obeying these commandments, we'll also be able to love people better. Look at 1 John, John 2.5. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person the love of God has reached perfection. This one was hard for me to figure out. But in talking with other people and looking more closely at the definitions, I was able to gain a little bit of insight. Now, when we hear the word perfection, we think that it is something without flaw, which makes this passage quite confusing. It was like, how could we be without flaw? But perfection can also mean to make genuine or brought, be brought to full measure. So when you read it through this lens, it changes everything. Go to the next one, please. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has been made genuine or brought to full measure. When we live life in alignment with God's commands, it allows us to, it allows his love for others to be made genuine or to be brought to full measure. Let me explain this a little bit. God loves everyone, right? Think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? What greater love is there than that? But according to the Bible, God use, desires to use his creation, which includes us, to demonstrate his love. As followers of Jesus, we are put into positions 
into the position as his representatives or his ambassadors. Let me show you where I get this from, 2 Corinthians 5. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. That's your redemption that he's speaking of. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All of this is from God, right, by grace and grace alone, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. That's us. If you have cried out to Jesus to be saved, this is you that he is describing. You are an ambassador for him in your world. In order to best represent who God is and his view of the other people in your life, we must obey his commandments or the instructions that he specifically gives to each of us. Either way, they'll either be helping you love him more or helping you love other people more. When you look through the Bible, there's like 611 commandment, commandments, I think. Every single one of them will trace its way back to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, or love others the way that you want to be loved. What Jesus said was the two greatest commandments. When we are willing to obey God's instructions to us, then people have the ability to experience more of his love. Or as John puts it, the love of God has reached perfection or been brought to full measure through us. I think this is why John continues in an explicit instruction on loving others. Let's look at the next five verses. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, yet I'm writing to you a new commandment that is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already here, already shining. Whoever says, I am in the light, while hating a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light, and in such a person there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go. Because the darkness has brought on blindness. The heck of a convicting passage, huh? In order to do this one justice, I'd need another 20 to 30 minutes. And ain't nobody got time for that, Paul, right? So what I want you to do, what I encourage you to do, is today or sometime this week, read through this. Think about it, right? Examine it. Go slowly. Break it down. Look at the different sentences, right? And then ask God, all right, how does this apply to my life right here, right now? Is there anything you want me to do that this is leading me to do? And in order for the world to experience more of the goodness of God, which is what it needs, we must be willing to live as God's representatives, choosing to obey him whenever he gives us a chance to love others. You know, what I want to spend the remaining time that we have together on is one more crucial piece in this idea of saved by grace but called to obey God concept. In order to be able to obey God and live out his commandments, we need to be empowered by God. The, this idea in and of itself requires some time to really understand, but I cannot talk about obeying God without at least addressing it. 
You and I have been created in God's image, but we have also been overwhelmed by the power of sin. Because of this, our bodies and minds are limited and fragile. They also have a natural bent towards selfish impulse, don't they? Once we are saved by God, our eternal state is fully reconnected to him. But what the Bible calls our heart, which is translated by a lot as your mind, your emotions, your willpower, the things that make you who you are, these are still tainted by the power of sin. Because of this, in the same way that we are unable to save ourselves, we are unable to live an obedient lifestyle by our own power. But in the same way that God saves us, he will also empower us to live lives that fall in line with his character. Let me show you two of the most powerful passages for me in the entire Bible. First one's Colossians. This is Paul talking in both of these. It is he, Jesus, whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Hear this last one, please. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. For this I toil and struggle. It's not easy. Requires a lot of work and effort with all the energy that God himself inspires within him. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4. Paul again. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So it's God who saved them. But we have this treasure, the Spirit of God and his wisdom, in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. And think about who Paul was, the power he had in presenting and inspiring. And he says, man, I am broken. I am just a clay jar. And this power that I have, does not come from me, but it's from God himself. And in the same way that we do not cause the sun to rise or put breath into our lungs, we do not have the ability to live a life that is not fully centered on ourselves and our own desires. But because we were created with free will and our creator longs to continually interact with our hearts, every day we are given the opportunity to experience God or as John says, to know him if we invite him in our, into our lives. To make this interaction even more powerful and tangible, the moment we are forgiven, the Spirit of God has direct access to our heart. Let me show you Hebrews 10. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, after you've been saved, says the Lord. I will put my laws in, your heart, in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. So if you've been saved, you've been given direct access. Your heart, that's your mind, your emotions, your willpower, have the character of God. Have his instructions etched upon them. And he's changed you. But even with this direct connection to God, we must still invite him into our days if we want to experience him now. 
Now, I know this sounds simple and maybe even corny, but I'm learning that this is one of the foundations of understanding all that is true. In almost every case, God will only be as much a part of someone's life as we will let him. It seems that he almost never forces his will on a person, which is both gracious and loving, but at the same time, terrifying. The source of all that is good continually puts the choice into our hands whether or not we want to experience life. Let me give you one last story from my life. It'll be short. So I remember a time, it was a Friday evening, like 4 or 5 o'clock. I was 16 years old, and I was driving up to a friend's house. We happened to had purchased a bag of weed, and we were going to enjoy the night. But during that moment, for, I'd say, hours until I finally got high, I had this deep conviction within me. It was like a weight in my stomach, so heavy that I could not overcome it. I could not get past it. And now, from all my experience of sense, and I know that was God telling me, do not do it. Do not do it. But I ignored and I disobeyed. And what's interesting, I know I did not lose God in this moment, that I'm still saved all the way up through everything else that happened in my life. But for years after that, I'd never felt a conviction to that intensity. It was almost as if God said, you don't want me, I'm going to let you do your own thing. And because of that, I made foolish choice after foolish choice for years, even decade. God was just like, well, this is your choice, my son. Go with the way you want. But now that I make a concerted effort to invite God into my life on a regular basis, I'm convicted for the smallest, even the stupidest things. Right? Like if I give my wife like a kind of a snobby look, that's not a stupid thing to be convicted for, but I'll feel it. Right? If I don't spend enough time with my kids, I'll feel it. If I don't pick up trash like I almost didn't do when I was walking in here, I'll feel it. It's just like, all right, Evan, you want me to be a part of your life? I'm going to be involved in every moment, big and small, to help you live your life to the fullest. If we want to be led by the almighty all-knowing, fully loving creator of the universe, we must give him permission. As hard as this may be at times, you can find no better life. You know, somewhere around you, there's a lot of cards that look like this. Put one on every other seat. There's a bunch in the back um, on the table when you walk out right next to a jar full of candy. I want to pray this prayer together. This is something that I came across in a book that I'm reading, and I see it as a prayer. God of our creation and recreation, you who are constantly at work to shape me in the wholeness of Christ, you know the hardness of the structures of my being that resist your shaping touch. You know the deep inner rigidity of my being that reject your changing grace. By your grace, soften my hardness and rigidity. Help me to become pliable in your hands. I encourage you, hang on to this. Keep it visible, at least this week, on the dash of your car, your mirror, where you get ready, whatever. Invite him in so you can experience more of his goodness. All right, let's keep worshiping, musicians.